0: I'm Chris, and this is NRVR. And today I'm speaking with Sarah Lisa Vogel. She's a designer, an artist, a tinker, a master craftswoman of all things that are amazing in virtual reality. And I'm so happy that you're on the show today, Sarah. Thanks so much for, uh, yeah, jumping on board.
1: Thank you. Um, such a nice introduction. Uh, well, I'm very happy that you're having me here and we are spending time in this cozy rainy weather.
0: <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I'm digging your avatar. I have so many questions for you. Let's get started. Um, how, by the way, a little bit of background. I think Sarah and I, we've met years ago at the Unite conference in, I want to say 2016, maybe 2015. It was, I remember the The reason why I remember you guys was because I remember trying um, the 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 game that you and Julie was it Julie your 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 partner in crime created
1: um, no so so I think uh, the the game that I and Nico created is Lucid Trips and we exhibited okay. it there it was the Unite Vision Summit in LA and I think it actually happened in late 2015.
0: Okay. Uh, you have that great was memory. the event
1: where they gave out free vives dev kits, free Vive dev kits for every developer that was at the conference.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I remember. Okay, I remember now. So yeah, I remember trying Lucid Trips back then. Um, definitely one of the most innovative locomotion mechanics uh, out there in terms of what was being displayed and i've also remembered
1: was there as well yeah Yeah, julie heide she exhibited selfie tennis um and she works with her team and crew they're called we are unicorns
0: ah okay for for some reason
1: do Yeah. yeah yeah we are best friends so that's probably why you put us into one team but yeah um we are very much one team we help each other out a lot and um Yeah, we were exhibiting there together basically uh, with, I think, four other early VR teams, one of them being Tilt Brush.
0: Oh, okay. And I think
1: also Job Simulator was there.
0: Yep, I remember Job Simulator was there. Uh, I remember the the, what was that? The Robo. The mini golf. The mini golf.
1: The
0: one. The mini golf. Yep, yep. uh, uh, Golf Land. Uh, Man, it's been so long. And there was the one with the robots where you like throw scissors at the robots and launch portals. The one thing I do. The reason why I sort of thought you and
1: budget cuts.
0: Budget cuts. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> the reason why I thought you and Julia were in the same team was because I remember hearing that uh, it was you and her that stole Chet from Valve's lamp from his hotel room, and yeah. the guy yeah, was we do that, so. okay. Chances
1: just a good friend, so
0: okay, we perfect have
1: to tease him every now and then.
0: I appreciate that. So awesome. So um, I feel like you go way back with virtual reality. How did you get involved in the first place?
1: So that's an interesting question. In the first place, I was actually getting my hands on the DK2, uh, DK1 2 Dev Kit. Um, we got the DK1 Dev Kit. Uh, I was living with Nico back then in a shared flat in a WG in Hamburg, Hamburg Germany. And uh, we just thought that... This is an amazing technology. We are both designers. Um, He is more like a motion designer and I'm more into action. And uh, I went pretty early into VR in my studies already. Um, So I basically did infographics that I used to do in Illustrator. I did them in Cinema 4D and then I brought them into VR. I actually did like a very early infographic of the... Of all the very first VR devices that were out there. Some of them that were Kickstarter funded, some of them that were self funded, and some of them that were company funded, and then the release date of them and it would be um it would be generated by a Excel list, um where all the newest devices are coming in and so it would be displayed on a ring um infographic where basically the further you go outside the closer you are to the current point in time and so those were my early starts and then <clears throat> nico the friend of mine that i shared this um, passion for vr with or this early vr he dislocated his shoulder and uh, he was usually wanting to you know do sports and whatnot and then at one point it was like okay so you can't do sports there's this device virtual reality where you can do everything virtual so let's learn how to use a game engine which was unity by then at that point that was in 2013 and let's try to build something and build something that we try to experience, so Nico actually taught me how to lucid dream and he experienced a lot of fly dreams. And so this was a shared passion, you know, in the evenings we would drink, we would drink oil, certain oils that make you more like likely to lucid dream. And we really <clears throat> dove into that a lot in our everyday life in terms of how How do you move around how do you how do you feel around when you're in this lucid dream when you're basically weightless when you wanna achieve this feeling of weightness weightlessness and so as i'm talking about this i'm like making these moves of like how do you move around or how do you fly around how do you float around comfortably in an environment embodied in an avatar so this was a question that we asked ourselves, and we basically connected the DK1 that didn't come with controllers back then to these Razer Hydra controllers, and tried to therefore build this immersive interaction of this hand walking, of this floating mechanic that we now are still developing inside of Lucid Trips. Um, we also have an attempt of swimming of how you can get around underwater or in different um, air scenarios. And this was really a very long way and a way that actually was never thought to be, or we never expected VR to become what it is right now so fast and and that even systems that have goggles and the controllers by default are what's going to happen. Honestly, back then, we just put together systems when the DK2 came out. We combined it with the PlayStation Move Controllers. <clears throat> so we basically um, connected the PlayStation via link um, via link adapter towards a computer and we're then using um, a special app that you get from PlayStation to use their Move Controller to actually run the system. And we built physical installations as well where you could... Lay yourself in so be very suing those or sewing sewing yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah. Sorry for my English sound. Oh good, <laughs> no it's perfect um Um so so We basically, the English is also something that just developed because of VR, because of how international it became. So in the beginning, we really developed installations. We developed a wind feedback system that was based on a quadrocopter-based wind feedback that would be fed back um, via Arduino boards into Unity that would then um, pick up the exact direction um of the player and give the wind feedback accordingly and we built that out to up to five rotors and like um four on the sides and one in the middle and the four on the sides would give the direction and so this was really about going into the most immersive um most immersive kind of way of experiencing this feeling of flying, of being weightless, of, of being free and that we actually were aiming for back then but then I have to say the developments went on and the first Vive Death Kit was announced and we <clears throat> were we were head over heels we were like oh my gosh this is what we were waiting for, this is what we were trying to build together for so long and this is amazing, this is going to be it, and everybody is going to play Lucid Trips, of course. And um, <laughs> that was like how we saw the world back then, and that was also when we got invited for the unit, or when we submitted for the Unity Vision Summit, um, when we were, we got the first wife uh, dev kit in Germany from Chad, who was back then the guy at Valve who was sending out the dev kits, um, who went to some of the craziest developers, the early ideas, the people that got First, there were a lot of indies that just came up with, with amazing ideas that that then got support from them. And so this was an exciting phase and in the end we just, as a team, we weren't ready on how to launch. Something in this new medium because we launched on Steam and you have to see back then VR was brand new and Steam was a gaming platform So Lucid Trips wasn't understood. People were like what is this? Like what should I do? What is happening? And it is only since fairly recently that people are actually like oh oh my god that is so amazing That is such a cool thing to experience and we are talking about six years after we, we, uh, we, we built our first prototypes. And this is a long time for something to be still relevant. Wow. And, and so I'm actually in the beginning, I thought I was in, incredibly disappointed and no one understood it and no one liked it. And I thought, okay, maybe we built a shitty thing, but it was just ahead of its time back then. And as you can see, it's still sitting on steam early access since January 2017, which is more than four years ago. And it's still nothing else like that is there. There have been a couple of recent attempts in hand walking methods um, like Lone Echo and like um, the. Uh, the the really recent one is this gorilla jumping gorilla
0: tag yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly so there's a couple attempts but it's all fairly clunky compared to what lucid trips became throughout the years right so or maybe i'm i'm just that's just my opinion but at least that's what i'm feeling you know it's more like really this this um gentle um interaction the immersion the tactile feedback when you touch the ground when you bend the grass all these little details they play such a big role um so yeah it's been an interesting journey for me to get into vr and and it basically happened through uh working on lucid trips um at first
0: what an amazing journey and and if you haven't tried lucid trips you should um, we're going to touch basically. Or you should
1: wait until we actually release it because mm. um, we are working on it and we are actually thinking to have an update um, or a release next year um, oh. in 2022. <clears throat> and um, yeah, we are still preparing for that. We are working on it. But uh, we are working on it by the side. We never took investment. And uh, therefore... Yeah, it's just a it's a passion project.
0: Uh, definitely a labor of love, and uh, um, so coming back to sort of your your journey, and by the way, an amazing journey. Um, you know, when you you started like really, really early, like super early, and my 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 first thought when I was as I was listening to you speak about you how you navigated yourself through all this, like, in especially in the very beginning, like. There weren't many VR designers out there, like maybe. And, and I'm curious to know, like, where did you go for mentorship or inspiration or like ideas or like how to solve problems? Like, how did you how did you like, you know, who did who? Yeah. What was that process look like? Like, how did you how did you work that out?
1: Yeah, that's a funny question. It actually <coughs> didn't feel so much like that because um, I first started off together with Nico, but then I had that same feeling. I had no one to really exchange with and also barely people had the tools, barely people had headsets. And I started a meetup back then in Hamburg called um, VR Developer Stammtisch. Stammtisch is a German word for for a group that comes together regularly at the same kind of bar and they drink. Um, So what we did, we actually went to um, bars or cafes where I organized it before and reserved a table and we all brought like um, whatever we could bring. Like it was back then at Gear VR was very much a thing and... Um, people brought their computers, they showed each other code, they were like um, trying to help each other bring stuff on a VR headset and, and show or show stuff on a VR headset to each other. And also when we received the first Wife Dev Kit, um, I brought it to that Stemtisch and we unboxed it there together. So, and everyone was of course super excited.
0: <coughs> Stemtisch is the so, word? That's that. Yes, yeah, Stamte. And it's a the, word for people who meet at a bar. <laughs>
1: it's actually a meetup. It's actually a meetup, but it's not in the context like you know it from you know from the official meetups. But mm-hmm. it's a Stamte is more. More like a group of people that come together to spend time together and tell each other what they did and have a beer at least that's what it is in germany
0: sounds know? very german to me cool uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so you brought so, yes, gear vrs you brought all the hardware and you were sharing demos with each other well, and-
1: Yeah. 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 Pretty much. So we didn't always bring all the hardware, but at least like some stuff to show every now and then um, people brought like a full on computer, but that was rare. I Mm. did that every now and then, but that was rather rare and we brought the first first staff kit to unbox it there which was a huge package and i remember going there with the bike and having it on the back of the bike and it was like a mess too was like i can't drop it i can't drop it
0: oh my god yeah, um, it sounds it sounds a little <laughs> precarious and it yeah and i it's gotta salute anyone who carries around a rig and brings it to a public meetup with a bunch of people that's that's a lot of work i mean yeah like so so that's yeah. so I imagine the energy was like there was a lot of energy. people were excited, or what was, there was it like?
1: So much energy. Yeah, So it was really that when I got in VR, I was completely flashed myself. I was just like, this is It blew my mind. This is, this is it. This is the world. This is what like never anything interested me as much as this did when I first put on a DK1. Like this was my kind of realization moment and since then I was like this is amazing and if anyone wants to try it or do anything with it I would be the first person to encourage them to do so and share whatever I have. And so I think yeah there was a lot of energy and there was growing energy in VR because Facebook got bought by um, Oculus got first bought by Facebook Mm -hmm. and... That was a huge, um, like, all of a sudden, you know, VR got this hype. And in 2015, 2016 was the peak hype times of VR. Yeah. And so right in these times, everyone was like, yeah, of course we're coming to your meetups. There were like more and more people. And then it was also that there was more and more business people coming. And then I was stopping them because I wasn't interested anymore. It was just getting, yeah, a lot of work and exhausting because it wasn't actually the people anymore that was wanting to learn about it but that was wanting to market it and we're just asking the questions and so you know there was ups and downs in this journey but all in all it was just um in the middle of the hype phase of VR that that all of this happened and so my love for VR didn't fade but I have to say in times like twenty. Seventeen when v r was also kind of negatively or or put in the press that v r didn't fulfill what I promised and, and et cetera et cetera, and the hype went down and the investments went down after such a short period of of actually engaging with the industry <clears throat> it was it was kind of a a hard thing to go through, especially as I was also fairly young. That was my early 20s, -20s. mid-20s, when I was going through that phase um, that VR was so hyped. I was 25, 26. And and then seeing that crash down and seeing a lot of my friends' startups um, go bankrupt and closing down, was a fairly hard thing to watch and i took myself out of it for a bit actually and went to study again and um, to study humanoid robotics because i was super interested still in the subject but not in the hype around vr so the subject of interacting in virtual spaces interacting in different bodies interacting in different environments all of that is still something that i very very much do find interesting and want to continue working on Mm. but vr went through a really difficult phase um i think for indie creators
0: yeah i remember those days i remember the facebook acquisition was a bit of an inflection point where and uh um the kinds of people that were part of the community just like you said weren't the kinds of people that were enthous- as enthusiastic about seeing the potential future implications of the technology and how to make it for good. And like, it was a lot of like, um, a lot of idealists, a lot of people that were really creative in the beginning, really, really beginning. And then the Facebook acquisition happened. And all of a sudden, I think we got flooded with a lot of people who are thinking about fast money, how to how to make a business that'll make You know that that'll be the next Twitter of VR or the next Amazon of VR, and how do we turn that into something that's giving us revenue in nine months, ten months, and millions of users? And when 2017 happened, and these companies didn't meet the expectation because these those expectations, because obviously technology takes a bit to ramp up. You know, it just doesn't. You just don't go over. It doesn't. We don't go from like announcement of the iPhone to, you know, 2014, in 2007 to like 2014 when it was in in the hands of billions of people. Like, it doesn't happen. It took, you know, it took a while for even the phone. So let alone VR, which I don't think, you know, I've become more myself a lot more humbled by the challenge of bringing VR to the whole world. Like, I think it's, I think a part of me thinks that while it would be beneficial to see a world where everyone has access to this metaverse, this giant universe, digital universe of information that is um, full of experience and, you know, eye, eye, brain opening sort of like experiences. I don't know if it's for everyone. And I don't think it's going to be tomorrow that we'll see that. The point is that I, 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 we saw that here, too, like here in San Francisco, in the Bay Area. Like we saw that. And um, and I think it took a while, but I feel like now we're coming, like VR is, uh, I, 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 think I think VR is mainstream. Getting, like it's-
1: Yeah, it's getting taken seriously. And I think especially since COVID happened, it's getting hmm. taken even more seriously because it might become a necessity that might be necessary at times. And yeah. <clears throat> there hasn't been a moment in time ever before that we couldn't come together physically and i think this is really something that that fed a lot into the recent hype of vr and especially of vr social platforms
0: Uh, i couldn't agree more especially considering the fact that like because of our um expansion in, in like as a as a as a civilization, as a, as a species that sort of like mucks with like natural habitats. I think that these are hundred year plagues, a hundred year pandemics will probably be happening every 10 years, every 15 years. And so we should have systems ready to go when the next pandemic happens and people have to lock down and we can continue uh, trading value with each other through, again, uh, this like, secondary uh, economy or secondary sort of like platform to to uh keep keep momentum going for people so uh, i'm with you and i want to touch i actually want to go back to something that i'm i'm curious to know more about and it's and it's something related to your design process Cause I, I, at this point you must be f- full of knowledge and experience and you're probably, you no, know, you're more than likely a master at this. So let's say I have a, uh, <laughs> so let's say I have a, a goal for, for, for an application for, for, for a company. Let's say I want to create, you know, a grocery store in virtual reality. And I say, Sarah, um, here's your million dollar check. And now, walk me through your design process. Like how, um, we don't have to be as specific as a grocery store in VR, but like, what, is your, what would your design process look like for, you know, creating a good user experience and having good design in virtual reality?
1: Yeah. Yeah, interesting question. Um, I do have to say that it is so early days, and it really depends on the client. Mm. Um, I personally have worked with several different clients, and it looks different every single time because every company has their own structures, how they approach their design. And if they get in a specialist, it's really that um, a lot of the design process is also just bringing the team to a point where they start understanding vr and where they start getting that it's that it's a spatial experience and because there's always going to be people involved that you work together with on a client side um and it really depends on the company structure of how that feeds into their design process. Um, I also would recommend, honestly, every company and every company that I do consult with, I would recommend them to build internal teams of experts that do know the technology and that are part of different projects and that know of other projects in their own companies, because sometimes companies are so big that they don't even know that another department does work with VR so I think it's really really important for corporations and, and companies if they want to get into VR to really build internal knowledge because otherwise there's so much to go wrong there's so much to be done wrong and to really represent something as important as their own brand I think the own expertise that is in the company around branding around design and marketing is something that's just invaluable to be incorporated into the design process. So from that side, I would always say external help, but an internal expert team would be a great thing to do. Um, <clears throat> when it goes when it goes further than that, um, and there's actually something being built. It is very much that there's 3D environments being built and then put into whatever engine you actually are working on, uh, working with either Unity or Unreal currently, um, I guess is the case. And um, then you're basically going to uh, try and to play test. And then That's something that there has to be a workflow for that when you're working with clients, that those clients have to be able to also get into VR, not in the early stages, but then at the point when you can actually show it, they have to be there and they have to see how it looks in VR. To get them into VR is one of the biggest things and to really give you feedback on is this how you want this to look like and to feel like and to sound like, etc., etc. If you're really working with someone, because they understand their brand better. right so you don't want to build something for them that's not them and so
0: go ahead sorry go ahead
1: yeah so so it is it's really um a process of when i'm when i'm talking about these early stages of development so who's um who's heading the unity project for example um is it for example on github is it on any other version control system that you can collaborate with Other people on that Unity project or Unreal project, and uh, always have the newest version, have different branches, so you're not getting on each other's nerves. Um, so, so there's a couple of things that that make sense in different teams and make sense don't make sense in other teams. Um, if it's only one person that's actually working in Unity and the others are artists that are just bringing the art in or that are writing a script for you that you can integrate yourself in Unity, um, it really it depends what is smartest there. Because there's also a lot of risks involved with version control. A lot of newbies can like destroy their whole projects when they do something wrong. So, um, including me, I did that a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, So yeah, if you do a wrong commit and stuff like that, or you just like put things that you actually still need to commit on the stash and then you by accident delete your stash and then it's all gone. Uh, So all these kind of things happen in that early design process and that's all something that doesn't ha- necessarily have to do with user experience, but that you have to incorporate into exactly that process, because everyone needs to feel it firsthand. Everyone that's involved in that design process that does assets for it or whatnot needs to have the opportunity to go in there and to see how does this look like? How does this feel like? Is this what we actually wanted? Hmm. And... um and so, yeah, in different teams, like, you just make builds, send them around, and everyone has a VR headset to, to watch them, or you put it on the Quest or whatever. Um, but it's really it's really a lot about seeing how the team is composed, right? Like, if you have, for example, an environmental artist and a sound artist and... Um, a more like technical person then it might be just two people that are working in Unity and one person that just delivers assets um, yeah I think it's really it's really um, different in every project and it's always important to find a good playtesting and a good exchange workflow I think that's just the most important thing to
0: to keep in mind Hm. Mm. I'm curious, so I wanna go deeper into the playtesting and because I have had experiences where like, um, I will come up with some sort of prototype and I'll start off on pen and paper and then, you know, first is in my head and I'm imagining it in my head and I put it on pen and paper and I'm like, okay, this might work. And then I put it in Unity and I'm navigating it in, um, in desktop mode. And then I navigated in VR mode, and all of a sudden I realize, oh, this is crap. This is not yeah. this is this is yeah, this exactly. is not what I imagine it would be okay. because all of a sudden I have this this sense of scale, it doesn't feel right. The assets that I thought would would look good all of a sudden just don't fit that uh, the context that it's in. And so how do you know, for example, when something Um, Although it might feel right for you, and this might go, even if you develop it in VR, right? Let's say, because I feel like the fact that trying to translate something from 2D to, to VR really speaks to what you said earlier about, like, having companies hire or work on growing their own internal teams and... Like and actually, you know, let's speak before I go forward to the, with this other question. I want to know more about the value of like finding designers that know VR. When instead of like going for someone who knows 2D, and then I tell myself, well, you know, I can pay them, you know, 30 percent less, and they'll just learn on the job. How hard could it be? What what are you? What are your thoughts about that?
1: Um, I think. My- my thoughts about that it's very much that we, as those early VR designers, have to advocate for exactly having that space and being taken serious in our profession um, of being a VR designer and really also adding value to the projects we're working on, because. I do think that not in general everyone is willing to be like, okay, now that's a different medium. I have to hire someone or I have to find someone that really understands this medium because it's different from what we did before. Um, But not everyone does add value to a project. That that knows VR, you know. So so it's really about the individuals making that point of being valuable, and I think most of the people that that I have met so far do really add value through knowing the medium and through having those experiences of what what works and what doesn't um, in VR. And and so I think it's a it's a thing that hasn't been fully established yet companies are not necessarily looking for vr designers yet but i think that will become a thing the more people are actually putting that on their name tag and i mean it's really that there hasn't been chops in this field and like until last year i i honestly don't know if there were independent vr designers that call themselves vr designers that are up for hire by company for um, from companies that are not in the vr market themselves i don't think there has been a lot of that um you know there's there's companies bigger companies that hire people that then become VR designers or that are you know independent creators that are more on the artist side of things as we are designers and therefore get attention but it's not that that it's a real like a profession that you can study you know like um, media design or whatever that's it's and it's not yet in all those um and all those universities, a thing that everyone learns about VR either. So there's courses coming up and then a lot of universities, there's basics being taught, but it's not a medium that's as explored as film. So we still have to really see what are actually the jobs going to be um, that are actually going to also be able to make money on the market, like on a general market.
0: Mm. Yeah, I... And I, and I have even questions about how a, a person who's trying to break into the industry develops a portfolio type, uh, you know, is it a, a landing page? Is it a VR chat profile? Is it something, else, you know, put on A-frame? That any, I mean, there's just so many options and so many ways to go mm. about it. It's it's <laughs> difficult to figure out what is it's the best way. It's usually
1: being helpful, you know. It's usually... If you are helpful, um, people recognize you, and people recognize your work. And uh, a lot of the people that I see in VR as VR designers that get recognition and jobs, etc., they do post on social media about their own stuff, but they also post things where they help other creators um, or things like you do with the podcast. You know, in terms of um supporting other ideas or giving other people a voice um i think there's a lot of interesting things when you look into twitter and other like linkedin etc etc a lot of interesting examples of how people add value in this industry be it like they're building these um you know the um like these uh, um the German word would be Verein or Verband, mm-hmm. but it's basically um, uh, several people come together and then they're going for something for like a common cause. So there's basically support from, <laughs> my cat just came here, from people <laughs> like between each other. Oh, I, ju- I just have to quickly.
0: Hi, Alice. Tell t- Alice I say Hi. <laughs>
1: Hey, Alice. You just woke up. Okay, sorry. I lost my track with um, Alice entering the field.
0: Um, well, well, yeah, so it, yeah, I, I like the idea you were talking about, like there's a German word for people who come together. Because uh, I think one of the things you were, t- we were discussing and you are mentioning is like, you know, finding ways that add value. And people notice when you are adding value to a community, and and I think that sort of forms a snowball effect, where at some point or another, you're just going opp- opportunities are gonna start opening up as as, as long yeah, as you're being exactly um,
1: that's what I was talking <clears throat> about. For example, women in immersive tech. Um, this is another of those communities that I co-founded. It's by now a nonprofit organization, and we just had a meetup today in Art Space VR um i didn't actually find you on twitter or on facebook could it be that you're on none of those platforms me i wanted to invite you to the event yeah
0: oh i'm uh, i am on twitter um and i uh, should no, be i mean
1: uh, you're on twitter that's what i mean uh on linkedin and on facebook i think oh. we had
0: the event Oh yeah I'm on LinkedIn I'll, I'll 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 add you after the show but um yeah okay. I'd, be, I'd love to check okay, it out cool. sometime
1: Yeah so um yeah so it's actually Women and immersive tech and we had a meetup today um it's a meetup series for women and gender marginalized people and allies uh, working in the field of immersive technologies and we had uh, do you know Katie Hackel she's yeah. uh, she's a uh, a futurist um, keynote speaker, yeah. So we had a fireside chat with her that I moderated. And, um, there were only two other questions, so I got to ask all the questions. <laughs> um, and we had Maria Cotial from Germany. She's the director of First Step and Second Step, this um, astronaut cinematic VR piece. Um, one of them won this Aurea Award, um, First Step it. And uh, yeah, so there's a, a couple cool things that we're doing and through all of these meetups people come together and they meet each other and they give each other jobs or they give each other um, opportunities, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's really those VR community things that are, that are just happening. Right before I came here, I was in VRChat meeting some people from the Choberg community um, that I actually met through Twitter. And I was saying, yeah, I'm gonna come by your meetup. But also sounds really cool that that's a really cool bunch. They're designing a lot of worlds and avatars. And actually, um, the Bernie avatar was from one of them. Nice. Um, now I can wear this one. And so um, they are also running workshops on Discord about avatar creation in VRChat. And. <laughs> um, so those mittens um, avatar creation in vr chat and so um, there is a lot of stuff happening so this is a really vivid community and those are people that are also really helping each other um like encouraging each other sharing knowledge um building things as a team. There has been a recent game jam with Amaze and the Goethe Institute. um, Again, the Goethe Institute Schoberg there. But, um, you know, there's cool things happening in in these communities. And I'm very much a fan of those too.
0: And the great thing is that you don't have to live in Silicon Valley or in one particular big city because a lot of these events are in virtual reality or... Over teleconference, televideo, or and so, and so, as long as you come prepared to like share and network and bring positivity and value, I think, I think, uh, things will go well with for you eventually, right? I think that's awesome, Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I think if people are just open and share about their practice, and if there's no like you know. All these things of like, no, this is my concept. Um, I'm afraid other people steal it if I'm talking about it, all that stuff. That's just bullshit. Um, That's really not necessary. And I think this is still somehow stuck in people's minds. But I think honestly, this is just, it's just not worth it. It's just holding you off. There's great Mm -hmm. ideas and whatever idea you're inspired by, you're never going to do the same thing. You're always going to do something a bit different, um, which might be the innovation that is needed for it to really take up, you know, or to really for people to see and to make an impact. And, and there shouldn't be an ego attached to that. And I think this is something that I learned from Chad, actually, who back then, everyone who, sent, who he sent a wife, dev kit, he um, said, we have to put the experience on Steam to share it with him. If we want, if we want him to give feedback, we have to upload it on Steam. But that meant that back then when Steam was closed, before, I think it was April 2016 when it launched officially. So all the time before, all VR creators for this dev kit, for Revive Dev Kit, were able to see all stuff on Steam that's up. So it were maybe like 20 or 50 games or something that every Steam creator had access to before the platform launched, before the VR platform launched. And Mm. so... We all saw each other's games, always. We could watch all of those. We could get inspired. We could learn. We could exchange. And that stuff is invaluable. Um, Just this mindset of sharing, of trying to help each other with the best possible feedback. Um, When you try someone else's VR experience and you're just like this, 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 and that, and they might have not seen this, this is invaluable. This is just... Um, the best feedback you can get and so I think all all of that inspired me very much to keep that in mind and make this a practice
0: yeah that's super important you can't be a golem when it comes to ideas like a golem from Lord of the Rings he'd be like my precious my precious you can't be that you gotta like you got to put it, put your ideas out there cuz otherwise how do you know they're even good and that honest, that uh, that that's perfect segue into the question i want to circle back around which uh, re- revolves around user testing you know th- let's say yes you're working in a project you've uh, per- you and your team have been prototyping you feel pretty good about the prototypes that you've done but at the same time how do you know the public uh, which is regular users how, how do you know whether it'll be good enough for them? And what are your sort of like workarounds, ideas, tips, advice for doing user mm. testing the right way with virtual reality? And um, whether it's on a low budget or a high budget, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if it's on a high budget, um, I think uh, you have production companies that can take care of that and really get you most out of it. Um If it's multiplayer, for example, like a uh, half the company or or like i don't know two hundred people or whatever should fit in can be activated to just go and and pressure test the platform if the budget allows it but um if it's going to rather low budget solution, I think um it's really important that you upload your game on Steam. You basically um upload it in a um closed beta. And then you can generate keys for your game or experience or whatever it is. Um, You can also do that on other platforms. Uh, Oculus works similarly. I did never upload an experience on Oculus, so I can actually not talk about that myself. But I have a couple of friends who do that. And um, I have activated a couple of codes through Oculus App Lab because that's where you basically can um, use uh, your experience also through the Quest. Um, So you can do the same um, basically with codes, um, with Oculus Quest App Lab, where you invite people with their email address, or um, through Steam keys. And I think the most important thing is, if you already have a little community, um, then yeah, send it out to your community, send it out to your followers on Twitter, they are the most likely to actually go and really test your game. Um, if you know VR communities that really also have headsets, um, then this is also a good place to be. Normally, VR communities are really friendly when it comes to testing out a game that they don't have yet, but they have a headset. So it's actually for them again, um, if it's not a completely shitty game. <laughs> and... Um, so, so yeah, there's a, a couple of different alternatives. The most important one is that you keep track on your spreadsheets of the Steam keys and of the people that you gave those Steam keys to. And I would also not revoke access. Um, that's something that we did at one point, um, not knowingly that they actually aren't, like, they're completely revoked. We basically... Transition from a beta version to the steam early access version and with that we revoked all access to those existing keys mm. um we didn't do that on purpose and we actually sent out to people that complained we sent out other keys but um that is something that you shouldn't do if you are gaining beta testers and they actually help you test your game you should definitely give them your game um, as a reward, when it enters the access, per- the, the actual release period or early access period, whatever. So that's that's a mistake that I did by mistake. And um, yeah, so just get to know Steam a little. bit. there's a lot you can do to engage. You know, there's um, as soon as you release, there's a lot of community engagement period, uh, uh, and com- community engagement tools. And also pre-release is a really important period to stay in touch with your community to see if something happens, if someone gives you a ranking or so um, that is bad, That you have, then you have to reply and you have to be like, what, what is wrong with, with the game? Like, if you really don't like it, please just refund it, but don't give me a bad ranking because the ranking on Steam is, is worth a lot. If you have a like 90% ranking or something, you did a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, there's things that if a headset is not supported or something and the people rank your game down, therefore just make sure you mention all of those. We had it mentioned, but we didn't have it mentioned high enough on high enough up on the steam page. And we still got bad uh, rankings exactly for that because it wouldn't work on the Microsoft reality headsets. And, um, and yeah, so so there's a lot that you can do wrong, but I think with getting to know the platform, getting to know the user base a little bit, looking at other VR games, you know, by now it's also that there's so many VR games published, um, you can look at so much. But if you look at user testing, I think it's really about the community, about keeping track of your Steam keys, mm. keeping track of the people that you're in touch with and interacting with them. On a regular basis, not too frequently, I would say. Just don't tell them every month. Like I have an update or something. Please test again. Um, hmm. at, at least. But from my perspective, because people might get annoyed and just um, like not and put you from your ma- uh, put themselves from your mailing list. Huh. Um, what is what
0: is the yeah, metric?
1: there's important updates.
0: Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off
1: yeah i just wanted to say when there's important updates i would always like reach out to the community but really only if there's important updates um which are like uh, um like real releases like a new kind of feature or something um but not if there's bug fixes or something like that Uh, you don't make your community your newsletter kind of update back update or whatever
0: sounds like sounds like there's a there's a bit of an intersection between especially if you're on a, on a, on a lower budget scale there's an intersection between community management and and design like it, there's a there's there's crossover there. When you when you're trying to like gather feedback from users, especially because I'm curious to know more about the at least your metrics for when something needs to be changed based on community feedback. Like, at what point do you say to yourselves, "Okay, we're getting a lot of reviews on Steam that are saying um, that this mechanic or this interaction or this particular menu layout is not working," and uh, but at what point do you say okay it's, i think i think uh, i think we reach a, a point that we need to we need to change i think the community would, would benefit from this like what 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 metric are you would you use or have you used in the past that uh, that showed some success
1: Yeah, so that is a very difficult question, to be honest. Um, If it's really about things that are obvious, like menus that are not working and that is being mentioned by more than, I would say, um, 10% of your users, um, that's a significant amount. Hmm. Um, I would always say that if it's like 10% of your users are reporting something, that's a lot already that's that that would be something that i would change because um seeing like one person that reports something there's most of the time 10 people uh, for that one person that don't report something right Mm -hmm. um so if you hear something more often than once or twice i would always um check that out and make sure this is really what you want or what works and also watch other people. Me as a designer when I get some feedback around a certain thing I always look into it but I watch other people and um, by now um, I often do that with my husband like I put him in lucid trips when I make something new and I be like Paul can you please fly over there and pick up that crystal and see how it feels and when i see him do it and then he pulls up that crystal and by doing that he flies through half of the planet then that's not a good thing (laughs) um that's like a way too hard spring joint there but um you know it really depends on on what it is like if you yourself Feel that a fundamental game mechanic, fundamental game mechanic in the game is just something that makes your game. Don't change it. Hmm. Honestly, we added quests and and gamified interactions and and kind of um, things that we didn't have in Lucid Trips before because people were telling us Lucid Trips is not a game. What should I do? I don't understand. And then we were like, Oh, okay. We put a couple of soap bubbles and then people have to pop all the bubbles and then go through the last gold ring. So people have something to do in there. It's cool to put up a couple of quests, but in the beginning, we actually put it as an asynchronous multiplayer where people could basically log in, do like their ways and and, uh, hide a couple of crystals and upload them. And then other people could explore those. No one would upload their stuff, you know? No one would do it. No one would engage. And then we basically therefore because everyone was like what is happening there's nothing going on even if we always put one there every day there was at least one um and we put we put more there we put different ones there like i did all the time i did new ones but um it's it's no engagement it wasn't engagement on that side and so we noticed okay that's something we have to change without even getting feedback about it we only got the feedback that there's nothing going on right Mm so so there's some things that you you just notice that that don't work, and um, and other things that are a bit harder to find out. Um, when I'm thinking of other de- design project of design projects of mine, where I just was creating different ux mechanics like something where i look at my watch um and i look this way around and now i saw what steam came up with their little interface that attaches to the hand and you only turn your hand like this and when i tried it the first time i was like "Fuck!" like why did they came up with looking at my watch like half of the people don't get it when i saw the steam one i was like "Fuck!" my design is a fail i tried something that's so much better it's a bit more apparent, like sometimes it comes in by accident and the watch one is really always you, you want it when uh, it's there when you want it and not when you don't want it. But honestly, seeing the people behave in there, in the breast cancer research lab is the one I'm talking about currently. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that's just like, yeah, that's the solution to that. We have to change that because
0: that would be so much better.
1: And it Um, was. You know, there's there's moments like that.
0: And and it seems like it was something where, in a a real world interaction, something like looking at your watch was brought over to VR and sort of augmented with all the VR magic on top of it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It was this mechanic and then the user menu would like a a augmented user menu with like six different tools that you could pick up would pop up it would fade in would scale like from small to big when you while you turn your watch around. So you always notice already when you start turning a little bit that all this menu pops up it scales bigger and when you have it over here it's at its biggest size. And uh, you can just like choose your your menu but but now that steam has it the other way around and it just hops up like when you just basically lift your hand, it feels like, you know, like sugary cream instead of like, oh, I'm going to get my watch over here. You
0: know what I mean? It's just... It feels smoother. Yeah, it feels... It, feels it feels a a moment. Interesting. Yeah, it
1: feels smoother. That's what I meant. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, well, I like the word sugary cream. I'm curious to know more about your thoughts on ethical design and what do you define as ethical design and virtual reality? Is there a difference between ethical design principles for pancake world, you know, 2d mode and virtual reality? Like, does it all translate over to VR and, um, where do you draw the line between what is ethical and what isn't um the first thing that i think about when i'm thinking about like ethical design and virtual reality is something like uh, ea the game game publishing company would try to come up with like a a new way to milk people through loot boxes you know kind of the way they do with v fifa yeah (laughs) Yeah, like FIFA or, like, mobile games where, like, you got 12-year-old children spending thousands and thousands of dollars of their parents' money through these uh, game apps that, like, make it really difficult to really feel like, like you're really spending money. But all of a sudden you are, and next thing you know, your parents get the bill, and it's thousands and thousands of dollars, but you're 12 years old, and you, you didn't know what you were doing, quote-unquote. Um, Again, what are your thoughts on ethics in VR design in general? And some of the things I just rambled through.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a big topic. Um, That's a very, very big topic. Ethics in VR. I mean, the ground rules, I think, are to understand that virtual reality is a medium that is scientifically proven to be immersive and to activate similar regions in the brain than real experiences do. So if you understand that principle, that's, I think, the fundamental difference to 2D screens because 2D screens are not as immersive and it's not the same brain areas as if you do something in real life. It's just not as intense if you will um so that is that is basically the ground principle and i think everything else uh, means being a guinea pig currently like since we are the people that used VR since day one and we are the people that are testing it out on our own skins in terms of how does this feel to us um does it feel good or does it feel not good and we are the people deciding what's ethical and what's not not ethical I think with the with the things that we are doing and that we are boycotting and I think I told you already once that um I do have an issue with Um, bloody like slaughtery shooter games Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something like Population One and Pavlov and all these kind of um, experiences and also early VR experiences that were kind of imitating this behavior where you feel like the zombie the zombie shooter Arizona Sunshine I think (laughs) that was my first horror experience where I was like I was really horrified where I was like throwing down the headset on the floor crying where I was like this is too much and this is fucked because your breathing becomes like and your view becomes like bloody and like your body is like twitching on the ground and all of that stuff and I think this is really something that uh, can cause PTSD syndrome because this is something that is, is it's absolutely shocking and i think for me at least it it could totally be traumatizing for people yeah so i think um there's there's those areas that we should keep in mind that as this is acting on our brain as real world experiences do what do we what would we be able to experience in real life that wouldn't give us any trauma because i think the last thing that this world needs
0: is any more traumatized people yeah, yeah. i that's so, a good yeah. one that's a good one i the last thing we need is traumatized people going around traumatizing other people because it sort of forms yeah, i feel like it forms exactly. a chain reaction like i feel yeah. I, I have this theory or i no i actually had a friend i have a friend who's a stanford neuroscientist and he was telling me how a lot of uh people who vote for authoritarian type of leaders who have authoritarian tendencies, were a, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of research is pointing in the direction that a lot of these people were abused as children, either physically or psychologically, whether it's through school bullying, whether it's through parents, whether it's through very, very strict dogmatic religious principles. All of a sudden, all that that trauma, that abuse, is something that they bring into politics and you have them voting for people like Bolsonaro, like Trump, like Erdogan, like people who are just Duterte, all these dictator asshole type of motherfuckers like you know you end up voting for them because again you can't you can't disassociate your politics from your you know from your childhood and and somehow you bring you want to mm. you want to bring that back that sense of safety like you know yeah it,
1: trauma is a big big thing and and I think there's so many people in so many nations that have been traumatized by what yeah. happened to them and that are being continuously traumatized when we're looking at the wars that are currently happening as we speak
0: mm-hmm. in this
1: world. And and honestly, we don't need to recreate that in VR, I think. Um, there's no need for that for me. And I think that is just where it becomes really important for me that, that these kind of things are ethical, like um, recreating what is the what is the reality of some people and the the horrifying traumatic reality of some people that are living today and, and if this is recreated in a way that other people are actually like you know shooting from helicopters or drones like they would actually do in war this, this these are just things for me that are um that are really really questionable
0: what would you say to someone who for her example says like I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now. I play this game called Contractors. I'll, I'll play Population 1 here and there. And the way I sort of, my mind allows me uh, to disassociate from the violence is by sort of viewing it as a sport. Like, do you ever go on paintballing? That's go,
1: amazing. Yeah, yeah,
0: I used yeah, to go paintballing totally. when I can, was in high school. If you
1: can do that, if you don't get traumatized with it, you're, you're great. Like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not traumatizing to you um but it can be for some people and mm, and i think that is totally that's where the difference differences that's what i said like that i am having issues with that like i just can't um play it like it's it's sadly um for me it is absolutely traumatizing and i don't think i'm the only person um on the world that this is traumatizing for yeah. and and that's what i mean but that's that's where for me um Ethics plays a role because I think that really is something that has to be um, looked into. I um,
0: feel I feel you. I feel I understand your, your point of view hundred percent because uh, you can be you can be you can be made feel feel very vulnerable in virtual reality. And I think one of the best games that ever did that for me was Half Life Alex in the beginning of the game, you feel very vulnerable. <laughs> um yeah. It's just, there's so many...
1: That's the point where I stop playing, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't blame you, but it, it makes you ramp up in terms of skill, in terms of weapons, in terms of tactics, that by the end of the game, I felt empowered. I felt like a god. I was like, ah, oh, come get some, you know? Um, <laughs> but I understand why it... But I understand, like, how if we're going to uh, and if designers are going to design design VR, they should be first in line to be able to practice empathy and and really see themselves in the shoes of the people that not just one kind of person, but like all the all the sorts of people that are going to be experiencing the things that they are putting out into the world. Yeah, Um. I have a last couple questions. I know we're running a little bit long, but I feel like we're, I've, I'm, getting so, I'm gaining so much value and knowledge from you that I, uh, I can't, I, <laughs> time is just flying by. So something I've been meaning to ask you, and I, again, we're, going, we're coming down to the, the final last two questions, are um, <laughs> it, uh, curious to know more about the typical day in the life of Sarah Lisa Vogel, the VR designer. What does that look like? What does your typical day look like?
1: So <clears throat> that's um um that's a good one. So I get up and I most of the time still in bed check my phone <laughs> and be like, hmm <laughs>
0: like what happened, everyone else
1: And <laughs> uh, on in Europe. Yeah, so because yeah, but on the other side I'm in Canada and most of my friends and the people I work with and my family are in Europe, so everything happens during while I sleep. Hmm. Um, for them or at least half the day um, their morning and so I'm mostly catching up on all of that stuff like tons of emails that piled up and whatnot but usually around nine I try to at least have my second coffee and uh, start working on my computer. Uh, Actually right now Alice is warming herself in front of the fan of the 3090 it's oh. her new favorite spot <laughs> in my computer environment.
0: That's awesome. Um,
1: so yeah, there she is a lot and yeah, so I'm basically just um depending on what day it is, work on a different project. I actually have project days that I have co-working sessions with my collaborators of those projects. Um, either in the afternoon or in the morning. Actually on Wednesday, it's Symbiosis Dispiosis. On Thursday, it's uh, Project Thea. And on Friday, it's Lucid Trips, um, where we come together with the whole team for at least like, um, depending on the work session, one, two, three, four hours and uh, work together all in front of discord or google meets or something like that and um, the rest of the day i'm working on basically my own stuff um, either on the projects if i still have two more stuff or if i want to try out new stuff or um, otherwise i'm also organizing the women in immersive tech events there's always something to do um to kind of like uh, plan for the next meetup or have some Stuff uploaded from the last meetup. I think you know how that is with doing the podcasts. Yes. So there's always something to do. And um, yeah, that's basically my day. I'm reading a lot about VR. I'm not watching news. I'm not watching a lot of shows. I recently watched a little bit more since uh, COVID and since I'm living with Paul. But um yeah, I'm not doing a lot of that. I'm reading a lot. I do like to read um actual books like real paper books which is kind of weird but i very often do order books um just like random books and uh, just read some books oh. yeah that that's pretty much what i do yeah and i play tower attack i play nearly every day i play some tower attack mostly around one or two p.m kind of like a little lunch break workout
0: and it's good and it's good for the brain too cuz you 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 yeah. uh you uh add, the more you work out um neuroplasticity gets gets uh starts getting released in the brain via this like this one I can't remember the hormone or the electrochemical process but yeah the I think that's probably one of the best things that you could that you do throughout your day to like keep your flow going keep your brain sharp so that's so tower tag you play in VR, you get your VR fix, and and you become a better designer by sharpening your brain. What could be a better win-win situation? <laughs>
1: nice, yeah, and I'm actually also working on a standing desk with a balance board, so that's something I really enjoy as well.
0: Now that is hardcore. That uh, a balance board sounds. Uh, what do you think of a balance board? Are they are they. And by the way, this isn't my second question, but I just want to ve- deviate <laughs> a little bit. Are balance boards uh, worth it? Or what do you think?
1: um yeah totally it's okay. totally fun yeah yeah it's really fun it's uh really good for my posture at least because i tend to slouch otherwise
0: mm-hmm. same here
1: and yeah there you just have to stand up upright there's no chance to stand anyhow different
0: okay i <laughs> otherwise will you
1: fall off the board
0: i will look into this balance board wizardry um thank you um last question What are your your tools? What are your favorite tools that you use to get your work done? And as a designer, can you imagine what the future tool for VR designers look like? What is the ultimate future tool for VR designers? If you could have everything in one tool that you could ever want, what would that look like? But let's start with your favorites right now. and. Walk me through your your dream tool. Um,
1: I'm actually, yeah, I'm working in a lot of projects, uh, uh, programs, honestly. The one I'm using most often, I think, is Unity. Um, And then with Unity, I'm using Plastic and Git um, as version control, tools, depending on the project. Um, I do use Ableton. Um, I really like to use it for anything sound related, and it's really easy to use, and I combine it with my biosonification module. Um, I use Python because one of our VR projects has a Python integration, so we are also using several Python modules and PIP modules um for that project and so you um, plug
0: Python into unity not C, so because I know you could do C sharp but you you plug Python into unity uh
1: yeah yeah we oh. do use Python for analyzations um in thea yeah, because it's it's too, um too It's basically too complex to translate those analyzations from python to c sharp it's just easier to plug in the python scripts let it do its analysis and then um visualize it again inside of unity nice yeah um that's what we're working on with researchers actually all over the world they have labs over all over the world they're called imxt um and yeah, uh, so, so this is what I'm working on, and then what else I'm working on? I also use Spark AR, um, I like that program just to um, yeah, just play around a little bit, I did a couple of filters recently. Um, I'm also using a lot of Premiere um, for all kinds of things, um, be it like tutorial videos that I'm later on using actually in-game in VR. Or um, be it just for doing trailers, or um, even making gifts, or stuff like that. I use a lot of Premiere. Um, every now and then, I also use After Effects, but not a lot. I use a lot of Photoshop. Um, I. What else do I use? Hmm. Good question. Maybe I should look at my task <laughs> list. <laughs> um well i mean i use a lot of steam vr Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: the gopro vr player i use a lot too um yeah i use a lot of steam vr oh no i'm sitting again (laughs) damn it Uh, okay i think that works right Yep,
0: you're good you're good yeah okay well, wow, so, so you're all over so the place. Yeah, you're you got your hands yeah. in almost any everything. Audio. Yeah, sat, yeah. yeah, That's crazy. That's awesome.
1: You kind of need that as a as a independent creator. When you're working with other artists, you kind of need to know how to plug in their stuff as well. hmm Um. So yeah, That's a lot of of uh, um, tools. And the second question is very very interesting, but. I don't know. I mean, it would definitely be something that needs to incorporate really, really great spatial audio positioning capabilities. I would love uh, to just go through any VR environment in Unity and just grab my audio source and drag it to the position that I want to drag it to. That would just be amazing. Um, That's something I would really wish... I mean, everything where you can basically walk around um, and just pick up things, put them at a different place, instead of having to go back in Unity and and put it on a different place and and then jump back in VR, would be great. I mean, that all would be amazing. Sadly, that's not what the early versions of the um, Unity, you know, the
0: Mars is that NVR
1: Mars editor.
0: Yeah, the VR editor. Yeah. I don't
1: know. They did a. They did back then. Like that was already really long ago, though. Um, yeah, I, think I remember. Also, like 2016, 2017, an VR editor, and that never really worked out. Um, and I don't know if they ever did a new attempt at that.
0: I hope so, it didn't die, yeah, I'm, but it would be... Yeah, yeah,
1: I do hope too, but I, I haven't seen any good stuff. I mean, the, the best stuff I've seen in terms of NVR creation tools is definitely things like Medium and Quill and, Quil and Tillbrush and all of these tools that are super helpful for asset creation. Um, that's really, really good, because that makes a lot of sense to not create on 2D for 3D. Um, but otherwise... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't want to trade something like the VFX graph to do shaders um, inside of Unity to anything I have to navigate in VR, you know? I want to do these nice node-based things and whatnot. I want to do that in vr i also wouldn't want to um i want to do that on the computer Mm. um i also wouldn't want to write a script in vr or something like that but it would actually just need unity to make a better attempt at like positioning certain objects positioning light sources positioning audio sources positioning objects um that are in the environment all these kind of things um it doesn't need to be a lot honestly i'm not sure why it's so hard
0: yeah I um I I feel like yeah they have all the components the all the instruments to weave together and make a beautiful symphony in terms of a tool in the form of a, a tool but I don't see I don't hear the music and so um, yeah I'm with you there uh, Sarah I feel like we could spend another couple more hours <laughs> talking. I feel like time went by so fast because yeah, I'm learning true. so much. Yeah. And yeah, I it it look really for, it has been, and I look forward to the day where you can come back and we can learn some more. Um, in the meantime though, how can people stay in touch? How can people follow what you're doing? Where can they learn? Where can they get some a, a copy of Lucid Trips um, and know. know more about what you're doing these days?
1: Yeah, actually, I have a website, which is just my name, Um, Sarah Lisa Vogel, um, it's Sarah without an H, and Vogel, just V-O-G-L, SarahLisaVogel.com, and uh, there's my Twitter and LinkedIn and all the projects I'm working on. I try to do a good job at keeping the most important stuff there, but it's mostly lacking things, so Twitter is really where, like, the up-to-date stuff, like, when really something is going on, I'm trying to post it there if I'm posting it anywhere. (laughs) But I'm trying to get better at that also.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Alrighty, then I think we'll bring things down to a close. I just want to thank, uh, Lucifer, uh, my friend, Lucifer M star for, uh, allowing me to host my shows in his worlds. I want to thank the person who made this amazing Okami avatar. I want to thank all the people listening, uh, via iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on YouTube. Thank you, Sarah, Lisa Vogel. You've been amazing. Um, and yeah, have your hog time. And I'll see you. I'll see you. I'll see you everyone later in the metaverse or wherever, wherever you are. Bye. Peace.